For me, as someone who doesn't come from a traditional data background, data feminism's definition of power really resonated with me. It helped me understand how bias leaks its way into supposedly unbiased systems. They define power as the current configuration of structural privilege and structural oppression in which some groups experience unearned advantages because various systems have been designed by people like them and work for people like them, and other groups that experience systemic disadvantages because those same systems were not designed by them or with people like them in mind. Welcome back to the DFN Podcast. I'm your host, Allie, and in today's episode, Jade and I will be reflecting on our three-part Data Feminism Book Club series, hosted in collaboration with Toronto Women X in Data Science. Many of you weren't able to attend the event live due to work conflicts or different time zones, so this episode will serve as a recap for those of you who weren't able to make it, and a reflection for those of you who were there but want to dive a bit deeper. This episode will also feature snippets of our Q&A with co-author Lauren F. Klein, as well as comments from our partner, Kishana, who is the founder and executive director of Toronto Woman X. Jade, since you're the mastermind behind the DFN Book Club, why don't you paint us a picture of what the event looked like and walk us through a quick overview of the principles covered in the book. Our book club began back in July, and we had three sessions that spread over the span of three months. It's a really dense book, So dividing it into three sessions was a really good way to take our time digesting the concepts and the principles in the book. During the sessions, we had three different breakout rooms um, that were between 10 and 15 minutes and was usually around five people. And there would be a guiding question for each discussion room. During our final session, we had a Q and A with one of the authors, Lauren F. Klein. The book Data Feminism is written by Lauren F. Klein and Catherine Diagnosio, And it's a way of thinking about data science and data ethics through the lens of intersectional feminism. The book reveals how data science is a form of power that influences systems like criminal justice, healthcare, and labor. Data works to maintain status quos around power. It benefits those who are most privileged and further oppresses those who are most marginalized. The book is broken up into seven different sections and each of the section covers one of the principles of data feminism. The principles are examine power, challenge power, elevate emotion and embodiment, rethink binaries and hierarchies, embrace pluralism, consider context and make labor visible. Some people might think that this book and these principles are only meant for data scientists, but our book club really proved that the book is meant for everyone and is beneficial for everyone. From data professionals to professors to artists, We were so blown away by the shared enthusiasm across participants of diverse backgrounds and perspectives. We have participants from Argentina, Australia, Canada, Europe, and the United States who all came to learn from one another. Ali, I'm curious, what was one of the best conversations you had in a breakout room? Well, one of the participants in one of my breakout rooms was a sports coach. And he shared that he felt many of the concepts covered in the book were going over his head. But then he went on to draw parallels between the principles of data feminism and the world of sport, which I found really interesting. And he served as the perfect example of why everyone, no matter what your background, no matter what your profession, would benefit from reading this book. He was questioning why things are the way they are in the world of sport and how data or social norms that are perpetuated by data reinforce existing inequalities in our society and in sports. And watching him make those 
connections and question why things are the way they are was an incredible conversation to be a part of. Now, one of my best conversations was during the first session, and we were talking about shallow equity, diversity, and inclusion efforts in the corporate world. We talked about how a lot of corporations consider EDI a hot topic and want to prove to everyone that they're making an effort, but you know, aren't actually doing anything to really challenge the internal structures of their organizations. It's really easy to hire more diverse people, but that can't be it. And you can't just have diverse people, you know, on the lower levels of organizations. Companies really need to make sure they're actually fostering a safe and inclusive space from within. So mandatory sessions once a year around equity, diversity, and inclusion don't really do anything to ensure everyone's in a physiologically safe environment. And we kind of came to the conclusion, we have to start challenging companies, not only to hire more diverse people, but to make sure everyone has an equal chance to actually thrive in the organization and to move to a higher level. I had a really good conversation with Kishana and she shared some of her takeaways from the book around this topic. My biggest takeaway from the book was when there was a breakdown of kind of a glossary of terms I'm just trying to remember what it was, but I think it was around um, moving from data ethics to data justice. And there are some terms that they secured power and some terms that challenge power. Um, the terms that secured power was because they locate the source of the problem in individuals or technical systems, but the concepts that challenged power um, they acknowledge structural power differentials and work towards dismantling them. So, for example, a concept that secured power was ethics, but a concept that challenged power was justice. And a concept that secured power was bias, but one that challenged power was oppression. So, for me, it was words like ethics, bias, transparency. These are normally words that are used in corporate contexts, whether they're talking about data, not data, diversity and inclusion, or they're talking about how their um, products are made. These are common words that are being used, but what the book shed a light on for me and what it continued to shed a light on throughout the book was that the level that um, we're operating on as a society saying that like, oh, like we care about ethics. It's actually not enough to dismantle and change the systems that are operating right now. So instead of saying, and they kind of sound risky when you think about the side for challenging power, like you would rarely hear companies say that they are reducing oppression through like the algorithms that they release, they're definitely going to say bias instead, which in the book was a concept that secured power. So I feel like for me, it was just that everything that I thought was deep enough wasn't, um, which made me realize the additional work that we have to do as an organization and that we need to help our community and our sponsors understand as well. Ali, what was your favorite part about the series? I absolutely loved the Q&A with Lauren. Learning a bit more about the process of writing data feminism and what that looked like was very interesting. I think the way this book was written is 
really unique in the sense that not only did Lauren and Catherine not know each other prior to writing an article which served as the original inspiration or foundation of the book, but they also had an open forum. So during this review process, some people commented on the fact that many of the examples in the book didn't extend beyond binary gender categories. And the way these comments influenced the final presentation of this research and these projects in the book was really cool. Actually, in the peer review that I now do all the time, which is, seems small, but is very powerful, is we had a reader in the peer review who we didn't know beforehand, who every single time, you know, we have all these projects about gender, and most of them just treat gender as a binary. And we were trying to talk about the projects and we were saying like, you know, they say that men do this and women do this or whatever. Um, and this reader went through literally every time we said that they said, well, what about non-binary people? And we actually, and it was like, that's literally what they did. Like, and I, we, we actually reached out to them. We're like, well, we're not really sure what to do because these projects did not talk about non-binary people. And they were like, well, just say that, just insert a line that says, when you're summarizing the results of the study, just say, the study concluded, you know, men do it this way, women do it this way. The study did not consider non-binary genders. And so we just did that, um, like just very matter-of-factly. And I subsequently have started doing that in all of my papers because it's very easy to do. Similarly, like in the small text below the visualization. And it's actually prompted some really good conversations among like pretty technical team members. Like I do a lot of collaboration with folks in computer science. And even at one point when I put in that line, the, the, the collaborator said like, oh, you're right, that paper doesn't do that. But I did read this other paper that actually deals with gender beyond the binary. Let's use that instead. And so I think small things like that, that just are sort of a constant signal or reminder that they're is a better way that is not happening like right in this visualization that you see um, can be like unobtrusive, but really resonant. Here's what Kishana's favorite part of the book club series was. I wouldn't necessarily there think there's any specific topics that stuck with me through the breakout rooms. What really stuck with me in the breakout rooms was the variety of people who attended. There were people with no data background who attended. Um, whose background was in arts or the social sciences. And it was really interesting to hear their perspective and how reading the data feminism book um, made it less intimidating to learn about data. And that even though the book may not have been targeted directly to them, that they could see how they could add in the principles into the work that they were doing. So I would say the most interesting thing to me during the breakout rooms were the variety of people that I was able to meet. An aspect of the book club that I found particularly interesting was the larger group discussions on how each participant plans to integrate the principles of data feminism into their work or daily life. For me, the principle that I think about most in my work as a data professional is considering context. I'm by no means implying that this principle is more important than the other six. It's just the one that I think about most often in my work at the moment. Considering context basically means that data should not be considered objective or neutral because they are in fact products of unequal social relations. And now when I approach a data set with this in mind, I always ask myself, who collected the data? How was the data collected? And with whose goals in mind? In asking these questions and searching for those answers, I feel I've become a better, more responsible data analyst who provides 
more accurate analysis and more accurate insights. So it was really interesting to see how, for me, consider context was the principle that comes up most in my work, but there were different principles that resonated with different participants for an array of different reasons. For me, as someone who doesn't come from a traditional data background, data feminism's definition of power really resonated with me. It helped me understand how bias leaks its way into supposedly unbiased systems. They define power as the current configuration of structural privilege and structural oppression in which some groups experience unearned advantages because various systems have been designed by people like them and work for people like them and other groups that experience systemic disadvantages because those same systems were not designed by them or with people like them in mind. Their principle, Examine Power, asks us to name and explain the forces of oppression that are so baked into our daily lives. This is a principle that I really consider, um, especially as I'm starting my career as a student recruiter at a university. I'm really eager to find ways to mitigate harmful bias that reinforces power in the recruitment process. And historically, data has really contributed to greater inequality, especially in higher education. For example, universities that view candidates equally by ranking them according to numerical values can reinforce meritocracy and white supremacy by justifying who remains at the top and who gets into the universities um, due to them being the best, but not naming that it's because of their privilege. So I think data feminism really asks us to kind of challenge all these norms and these measurements of success and to consider how power really informs them. And that concept of power, that idea of power really is what data feminism is all about which is really interesting hearing Lauren talk about the process of writing data feminism and her and Catherine discovering themselves how much power has to do with it and how they have to have two chapters on power just because it is so baked into data and what the principles of data feminism stand for um, was so interesting for me to learn because now that I've read about it, it makes sense, you know, in our increasingly technological world, Data really is a form of power, but even though I've been a data professional for over five years now, it's not really something I ever, I don't want to say considered, but thought deeply about. So it's awesome that this book just makes you think about those things, makes you ask those questions and makes you question these concepts that we've become so comfortable with. On the note of power, a really basic concept that stood out to me was the idea that power is not distributed equally, therefore we can't view people as equal and data systems viewing people as all the same is actually one of the core problems. So by examining power and the way it's differently distributed and acknowledging that and then working from that at the base level will I think really help us make processes more equitable rather than just equal because the concept of equality isn't necessarily true because power is so differently distributed. One amazing aspect of the book was how it promoted projects, organizations, and research that illustrated the principles of data feminism. Ali, I'm curious, what was your favorite example from the book? One example that does come to mind straight away is from chapter six, my favorite principle, consider context, um, which is basically all about the fact that the numbers do not speak for themselves. And this holds true in data visualization. The book talks a lot about data visualization in general, but 
there's one specific example that they mentioned in this chapter. So they show two different data visualizations that both portray the same data analysis. There are two different bar charts, and the only difference is the title and the subtitle. And it's so interesting to me because in looking at the first example, I read the title, I read the subtitle, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That describes the graph. It's perfect. But let me give you a little bit more background before I dive into why it's my favorite. So the data is from a study of people incarcerated for the first time in New York City jails between 2011 and 2013. And the point of the study is they analyzed if race is a factor in whether or not inmates are diagnosed with having a mental health disorder or whether they're kind of categorized as crazy or something less, less medical. So the first data visualization is titled Mental Health in Jail. And the subtitle is Rate of Mental Health Diagnosis in Inmates. And I see nothing wrong with that title to begin with, but then it shows the second example. The title of that one is Racism in Jail. And what the authors communicate is the second title, Racism in Jail, is a much better title for this data visualization because what the study is about is it's about racism in jail. It's not about mental, although it is about mental health in jail, the point is that there is racism in jail. So that second title is much more appropriate than the first one. So they just talk about these little nuances and little differences between data visualizations and how the presentation and the framing and the communication of the context behind it is so important in communicating data. And that's just something that I hadn't really considered before. I found so interesting and it's something that I think about in my work all the time. One of my favorite examples was the work of Maria Salguero, who logged more than 5,000 femicides in Mexico. In Mexico, there had been an influx of homicides, particularly of women, and government recordings of the murders were not taking gender into account, and therefore were not highlighting the extent of the femicide problem. And it was also a problem because families, you know, seeking more information on the murders of their daughters were not able to find information or track any of the other killings that had been happening and then you know, create a safer space. Maria's work also provides the most accessible information on the subject for journalists, activists, and for the families of the victims who are seeking justice. DFN's own Brenda Gonzalez actually had the opportunity to interview Maria to learn a bit more about her work and the inspiration behind her initiative. We'll be providing a link in the description if you're interested in learning more. But overall, I think the example really shows us the importance of applying a gendered lens to data collection. And it's also just an inspiring story of someone who took action when the government did not. We just wanna take this opportunity to thank everyone who attended the events live. Special shout out to those of you in Europe who stayed up until 1 a.m. participating. This event wouldn't have been possible and wouldn't have been such a huge success without your enthusiasm, insights, and participation. In line with the principles of data feminism, this event was all about lifting each other up, sharing knowledge and broadening perspectives. The sense of empowerment and bridging together of communities also formed the basis of our partnership with Toronto Women X. For those of you who are keen to learn a bit more about Kishana and the organization, here's a little snippet from Kishana herself. 
I started off as a data analyst and my last role in corporate was a data analytics manager at a startup. I recently left the corporate environment to pursue Toronto Women X in data science full-time. We've been in operations for four years. Traditionally, we were a annual conference um, where we had women from all different backgrounds of business, technical, and ethics come to speak to our audience about data science because our goal is to increase data literacy amongst women. We have an ambitious goal of inspiring a million women to become data literate. So I had it on the side for about four years, and now I'm working on it full time. So the Data Feminism Book Club was a part of our data media club work that we were doing. And partnering with the Data Feminism Network was a perfect fit for this. There you have it, folks. Thank you again to Kishana, to Lauren, to our other partners at Toronto Women X, and to all of you who participated. To stay up to date on Data Feminism Network events, check out our website at www.datafeminismnetwork.org. If you're a fan of the show, follow us on Instagram at Data Feminism Network and on Twitter at Data Fem Network. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, where we post event updates and share job opportunities related to data equity and inclusion. Be sure to tune in to next week's episode on claiming women's space in STEM with Nobukosi Zalamini. 